Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. All right, all right, we are back once again. And if you follow us on social media, you will know that this is not our normal time. Uh, and in fact, it's quite early for me to be um, pontificating in the way that I normally do. But uh, we're doing it because we had some scheduling issues. And so uh, we will hopefully resume regularity in the next week or two here. But for now, we're on early, we're on often, and it's great to be here. And I am joined today. Uh, by the very first guest that this show has ever had that I don't have uh, a personal friendship with, but let's see if we can change that after today's episode. So it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Harry Weger. Thanks so much for joining the show. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Anytime, anytime. And I'll tell you, uh, the way that I found you is because um, I needed uh, an expert for our topic today. And so I just Googled the topic and you were the first person who came up. Um, So hopefully Google sent me in the right direction. I have a feeling that we're going to be doing just fine. (laughs) Gotta love those algorithms. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today we are going to be talking um, yet again about the systems and the networks and the individuals who have the potential not only to influence uh, our more traditionally close relationships, but of course represent very much close relationships within themselves. Today we are talking about platonic relationships. So I'm very, very excited to talk about this because it's an area that I have not studied anywhere near enough and that I wanna know more about. and so I'm hoping that we can learn some more about it today. Uh, like always, I, I enjoy starting by learning about our guests. So maybe if you could uh, speak a bit about, you know, your area of interest, how you came upon it, where you're from, what you're up to now. Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, <clears throat> got my PhD in communication back in the uh, late 90s from the University of Arizona and initially my areas of interest mostly revolved around things like argumentation and conflict in close relationships. And um, I got some jobs and some graduate students. And like a lot of us, our graduate students come up with ideas that we wouldn't have come up with on our own. And so that's how I ended up studying cross-sex friendships. I had a, Mm. a student who was interested in cross-sex friendships because she had been in a relationship with someone and then they broke up and now they're just friends. And so she wanted to know more about that. So, mm-hmm. uh, we started, um, doing some relationship some research in that area. And then another student wanted to study friends with benefits. So we did that. And mm-hmm. that's sort of how I ended up here. Um, I do have sort of a, a another sideline interest and that's, uh, studying nonverbal behavior in televised political debates. And so oh, that's, wow. I have, a, I have a book and that's what the book's about with my uh, buddy, John Sider. Oh boy, that must have been, you must have had such an interesting last six years. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been fun. That's for sure. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, the, <laughs> seeing the debates in 16 and 20, you know, that really mm-hmm. changed some things, but. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. So just to summarize, you're from the wrong Arizona University. <laughs> um, well, you know, a lot of the people I went to school with were your professors over there in Tempe. I was about to ask, are you a Burgoon student? Uh, uh, Judy was on my dissertation committee. Um, 
and I took classes from Michael, of course. But I was uh, my advisor was Scott Scott Jacobs, and um, but I was really good friends with um, Laura Guerrero. Her mm-hmm. husband was the shortstop on our softball team. He was awesome. Of course, of course, he was. <laughs> and Corey and I, uh, um, I think we graduated the same year. Wow, something like that. So, um, and then Art Ramirez used to be at ASU. He's a buddy of mine too. That name I'm actually not familiar with, but everything else you said makes perfect sense. So, oh, um, Dan Canary. Dan Canary was there for a long time. He was right. my master's advisor. So just to, to catch up the listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, uh, Judy Burgoon <laughs> is one of, if not the most published communication scholars uh, of all time, <laughs> as is Dan Canary. <clears throat> and they both have very close relationships with both the U of A and Arizona State University. They advised um, former guests on the show, including doctors uh, Laura Guerrero and Corey Floyd. And so, of course, now we are continuing that lineage. It's funny how everything comes together uh, in in the field of interpersonal communication. It's a small world, that's for sure. It seems to be. It seems to be. Um, So let's talk a little bit about platonics. First thing I want to get on is, and this is something I struggle with in my classes when I'm teaching interpersonal communication, both at the lower and upper division level. Um, I'm wondering, can you give me like a clear and concrete definition of what it means to be in a platonic relationship? And then from there, I'm going to kind of try and pick it apart and see what is and what isn't platonic. Yeah, technically, you know, strictly speaking, a platonic relationship is one in which people experience um, a close emotional connection and attachment, but have no interest in forming a romantic or sexual relationship. Okay. That's nice. I like simplicity. So we are talking about straight up friendship. Now, what about a situation uh, in which like one person has a crush on another person and then the other person um, is not returning those feelings? So unrequited love. Um, mm-hmm. Can those two people truly be in a platonic relationship if one of them is desiring something more? Well, I mean, you know, strictly speaking, it's not a platonic relationship on the side of the person who has the crush, but they can certainly maintain a friendship that um, is not burdened by any kind of sexual or romantic attraction, um, either one by the person who has the crush keeping their mouth shut and not mm-hmm. ever saying anything about it, or by, you know, probably a way those of us who study interpersonal communication would rather see people do it. And that is have a discussion and just say, I have these feelings, but that doesn't mean we have to act on them. Okay. So there, you, you can explicitly state that there is that sort of tension there, or you can ignore it. And in both cases, uh, you can maintain a platonic relationship in theory. In practice, it might be a little bit more stressful than that. Yeah, and um, both Laura and I have um, conducted research looking at what happens when somebody has a romantic attraction to mm-hmm. their um, uh, their you know purported platonic friend, mm. um, and and the results are there's both good and bad things that come out of that. But one of the main ways cross-sex friendships end is when one person confesses their love for the other um, and then it creates, you know, discomfort and awkwardness Mm. between the two of them. So, you know, sometimes maybe, you know, if you really value the friendship, maybe you don't want to necessarily disclose that you have those feelings, but, you know, it's not uncommon for people to have those kind of feelings when you're, uh, if you're a heterosexual person and you're friends with someone who's attractive to you, 
it's not unusual for people to experience those feelings, at least at some point during the friendship. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I think a big thing to kind of unpack here is not just the romantic issue here, because like we think about um, uh, we think about the friend zone, which is actually going to be the topic of our discussion next week. Um, so I'm very <laughs> excited uh, uh, for that conversation. But that one, I feel like, is the very traditional, like, one person is into the other person, and then the other person isn't really into them back, and you just kind of go from there. But I'm a little bit more interested, and maybe this is because it's related to my own research, I'm a little bit interested in uh, the the sex component, where you may have one individual having, you know, certain thoughts about uh, a platonic friend, and... Um, I haven't done a whole lot of research on this, but I know that it is quite common in heterosexual cross-sex relationships to have thoughts, right, about about a friend. So, oh, sure. so my question is how, and I, I know we're going a little off script here, but now I'm just interested. So my question <laughs> is, when you have a platonic friendship like that, how can we manage those perfectly normal, perfectly natural, and very common um, thoughts that may not necessarily manifest in any feelings or actions, but they're there. Like for, I think about, for example, you have an awkward sex dream about a cross sex friend. How do we manage a, like a day like that where we wake up after a dream? Well, um, you know, I guess it depends on how close the friendship is on whether or not you disclose that to the other person. Cause mm -hmm. it might be just, you know, a funny conversation to have. Right. Or, and it depends a, a little bit, too, on the context of the friendship. Are both of you taken? So sometimes we have a cross-sex friend and we're involved in a committed relationship. And if we're both in a committed relationship, it might not be as threatening to talk about that kind okay. of thing. Um, and, you know, and plus the amount of detail you could go into, right? So you could just say, <laughs> I had a crazy dream last night where, you know, we were in bed together and... Um, and then I woke up and I thought, oh, no, I where did that come from? Right. But, yeah. Um, you know, getting into the details that might that right. might cause more. Right. More problems. But, you know, just r recognizing that this is just a super normal experience and, you know, having the ability to say, well, it's just that's just a feeling everybody has. And um, it's totally natural, but I'm not going to act on it because. You know whatever the reason is why you don't want to act on it yeah so maybe you're both taken maybe you value the friendship more but i think that you know uh the way that you worded it was it was eloquent and it was uh i, I think i don't know if you did it on purpose but y you talked about the dream right and then you said i don't know how that happened right so i think framing <laughs> that discussion in terms of this was an accident i don't really want this i don't know what's going on how crazy is this right i think it maybe that that act of hedging allows us to have the conversation in a more comfortable environment. And so, yeah, maybe. Uh, this is all sort of building up to a question that I ask my students repeatedly and that I ask myself repeatedly, to be honest. If we're, and, and it's clear that in this episode, we are living in the world of heteronormativity, right? Uh, it, it's just sure. a little easier to talk about cross-sex friendships in heterosexual friendships. Um, and so if we're staying in that realm, my next question is, in your expert opinion, do you really think it is possible for a guy and a gal to be um, just friends and nothing more? And if so, what benefits do these um, just friends couples incur by maintaining a fully platonic relationship? 
Um, well, I can talk about the motivations people have for entering cross-sex friendships. And, um, and so we'll have to discard the one that is uh, maybe the most popular for men, which is hoping for sexual access mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but if you disregard that particular motivation, um, men tend to identify the uh, the female friend as a source of sensitive and um, and uh, and empathic support because a lot of men for whatever reason, maybe feel uncomfortable talking about their insecurities or mm. something that happened with another man. Um, and so, uh, and plus men, um, in general give less sensitive support than females do. And so if you're looking for someone who will cry with you or something, um, you might, you might feel like, well, a female is more likely to give me more sensitive support. Right. And, uh, for women, um, they tend to be motivated uh, for two for two reasons. One is to get inside information about men. So mm. there might be another man they're interested in, and they might want to know, well, he said this or he's he's doing that. Does that mean anything? Um, you know, trying to get inside information from another man. And then the other is that um, uh, men tend to engage in more instrumental type activities um, in managing their friendships. So while it might be satisfying sometimes to spend most of your time talking about your relationships um, and that sort of thing with with uh, females, females also like to do things like shoot pool and play darts and mm -hmm. go to uh, you know a football game or something like that. And so they see men as um, being um, more willing to engage in those sort of activities. Sure. And so kind of rounds out your experience with friendships by having uh, a friendship of the opposite sex. Very interesting. You said so much there. First of all, you talked, you alluded a little bit to what are known as backburner relationships. And I yeah. love backburner relationships. That makes me think I need to get Dibble on this show to, to he's the foremost expert on, on that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're going to have to do an episode on backburners. But I think the idea of kind of rounding out the friendship, right? Because we know that from a communication standpoint, men and women are really similar. There are some small differences. And one of those small differences is that when men hang out, it's a little bit more activity oriented. When women hang out, it's a little bit more communication oriented. And so there you go. There are some great benefits. Now, let me ask you this. Are there any drawbacks to having these uh, cross-sex platonic relationships? Yeah, there's a few. Um, i trying to remember. I think it was Mansoor talked about four challenges of cross-sex friendships. And um, and so there are challenges to those. And one of uh, is something we already talked a little bit about, which is the potential for um, uh, romantic and sexual feelings to come up, which mm -hmm. can complicate the friendship. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some others, too. Uh, for example trying to present the friendship to other people in your social network is a little bit of a challenge because um, of the heteronormative culture we live in. People expect male-female relationships to be of the romantic type. And so yeah. you're forever having to explain, no, we're just friends. No, we're just friends. You know, or they're, oh, so I see you're here with your date tonight. No, we're just friends. You know, and, and right. when do you say that? Like, is it an insult to always be telling people, um, oh, no, She's just my friend. She's not my romantic partner, because then it's like, well, what's wrong? You know, why do you always have to clarify that, right? Right. right. Um, and then also, um, uh, there's some some discussion of um, whether or not 
in a patriarchal culture, males and females can be friends on equal footing. Although, mm. um, even though it's it's possible, and that there is some research that shows that males tend to be more likely to be pressing sexual issues with their female friends. Um, when you ask people in studies whether or not you feel like the, the relationship is equitable and equal, most people say it is. So um, while it's a potential problem, it's not really one that um, most people experience, I think. Mm. Interesting, interesting. I'm, I'm uh, really curious about um, those, those potential drawbacks because I, I prefer kind of like approaching things from the, uh, from the dark side of interpersonal communication. Mm -hmm. So I would love uh, a study on like when platonics go wrong or like poisonous platonics. I like alliteration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always good for a, it's always good for a, uh, an article title too. Sure. Um, okay, so um, big question here because we're going to be talking about the friend zone. We have talked about friends with benefits on this show with Dr. Trucelli last season. Um, a lot of folks who are listening to this are likely either in a situation where they may be pining for a platonic friend or on the other hand, they may have someone pining for them. And so is it I don't want to use the word appropriate. I guess, is it reasonable to try, I guess, to try and, and, and turn your relationship, your platonic relationship into something more? Like, is there like a love potion formula that people can use to, to help escalate a platonic relationship into something like a romantic or perhaps a sexual relationship if that's what they're hoping to do? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, a lot of people enter cross-sex friendships because they have some romantic interest in the other person and they're hoping that some opportunity will arise. And one of the things that both Laura and I have found um, is that uh, relationship maintenance behaviors, when you're attracted to a cross-sex friend, people tend to up the amount of maintenance they do. And so um, our cross-sex friendships are usually maintained probably we probably spend less energy on our cross-sex friendships than any other relationship we have that's a close relationship. Hmm. And so when you feel romantically involved, you um, you engage in more things like you contact the other person more, you offer more support, you spend more time talking about your relationship, you spend less time talking about other people that you might be attracted to because you don't want the other person to think that you're unavailable or are disinterested. And then... Um, Valerie Akbalet and I, uh, based on her thesis, were interested in what sorts of um, relationship issues, behavioral issues, things like that, would make someone consider escalating a platonic friendship to a cross-sex friendship or, I mean, to a romantic relationship mm. or to a friends with benefits relationship. Mm. And for friends with benefits relationship, the most important thing is to be attractive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for both males and females – you know, physical attractiveness is, was by far swamped every other uh, element, but also having a close friendship um, and then having a support of uh, your friendship circle in terms of whether or not your friends would approve of this mm -hmm. relationship. And um, one of the things that I thought was interesting was for males, it didn't matter if the other person was involved with somebody else. Ouch. They would, <laughs> but for females, it was so. Right. 
Um, you know, if you've got a girlfriend, you might want to keep it quiet if you want the your cross-sex friend to be interested in you. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And I think the research bores that out. If I'm not mistaken, men are much more likely to engage in sexual infidelity. Women are more likely to engage in emotional infidelity. And so those components kind of come up when it's like, hmm, am I going to cheat on my partner with my friend? Uh, maybe no, maybe yes. And, and there might be uh, a bit of a, a, a sex difference there. <clears throat> Yeah. And the, the other thing is, is that it, females tend to be sexual gatekeepers anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and that's especially true in cross-sex friendships. Males are much more likely to be attracted or to say, yeah, sure. If she wanted to have sex, I'd have sex with her mm -hmm. than females are in the other direction. And so um, it's probably much easier for a female to try to escalate to a sexual relationship anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, than it is for males because you, have, you know there has to be mutual attraction for that. Right, right. Of course, and this makes me think about uh, the the literature on secret tests. And uh, for those who don't know, secret tests are the they're exactly what they sound like. If we are interested in someone, or perhaps if we're already in a relationship, which was the original study, what we'll do is we will um, sometimes unconsciously test our partner to see how they feel about us. And so I'm thinking about a platonic relationship. Um, in which one person describes a dream, maybe even a dream that didn't really happen to their platonic yeah. friend, just to see how this friend would react to the idea of them ending up in bed together. Um, has there been any secret test literature on platonic friends? I, I haven't read any. Oh man, I've, I've read need that. pretty much most of them. But what, what we do see is that, um, in attempts to escalate, it's not unusual for people to use indirect strategies of exactly that sort of thing. But it was, I don't think the study I'm thinking of wasn't couched in secret tests, but more like indirect strategies. So one mm -hmm. of the things about um, joking, flirting is that it's deniable. So, right. you know, you can, you know, flirt a little bit. And then if the person says, oh, Harry, I don't think about you that way, mm -hmm. you can always say face by just saying, oh, I was just joking. What are you, uh, come on now, we're just friends. I thought you'd <laughs> understand I was just joking, right? So right. you can mitigate the possibility of losing face. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. And you know, um, one of the other branches of my research is uh, friends with benefits studies. And I think I'm gonna have mm -hmm. to talk to my old advisor, Dr. Monjo, uh, about uh, about a secret test piece on, on, on platonics and FWBRs. I think that there's room there for something and you know, uh, people have been testing and retesting that idea for a while now, and I think it's time for another one. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think there's any anything interesting to find there? Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Um, you know, it, um, the study that uh, my grad student Melissa and I um, got published, we had dyads instead of just one individual in the friendship, mm. and so we asked them. Um, to talk about their feelings about the relationship was it strictly platonic, and then we asked them. Uh, one category was I'm attracted to the other person, but the other person isn't attracted to me. Mm. Uh, and we found that like 10% of our participants, both people said they're attracted to the other person, but the other person is not attracted to me. Wow. And, you know, of course we couldn't tell them because the, we couldn't go back and say, Hey, by the way, shoot your shot, do it. Right. It'll work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, so, I mean, uh, there's got to be – people have got to be engaging in in um, mm. those kinds of secret tests, you know, testing the waters. 
Wow, that is that is really interesting. I wonder, it makes me wonder if that is like a confidence thing. Like, am I just not confident to ask my, my friend out? Or if perhaps maybe they even... Um, they, they want to believe that the other person isn't attracted to them because they're so nervous about ruining the friendship that, mm-hmm. you know, they, they say, well, you know, if I compartmentalize this as I like them and they don't like me, then it can always be a pipe dream and I can still have the friendship and I don't have to take that leap of faith, which is, of course, you know, in the times of the pandemic, friendships are a little hard to come by. So we may right. be searching for those or trying to maintain those with a little bit more um, veracity than we than we normally would. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of it can be um, just a misperception, too, because it's not uncommon for people to think that uh, another person is not interested in them and miss signals that are obvious because they start off with the belief, oh, well, we've already have this established platonic relationship. So even, you know, even when the other person does flirt with you, you might misperceive it as being, oh, they're just joking because we've been friends for a long time. Right, right. And yeah, and that's that's very interesting. I think that's a great note to end on because next time we're going to be talking about the friend zone. And then the time after that, we're going to start getting into some more dark side stuff. We're going to talk about um, toxic relationships. We're going to talk about relational transgressions and all of that stuff that uh, that hurt the relationship and all of that stuff that I find the most fascinating. So I really want to thank you again, Dr. Harry Weger, for coming on the show and uh, educating us a little bit about these really important relationships. Well, thank you very much for uh, having me on. I, I'm going to have to tune into some of those other those other topics you're, you've got going. It sounds interesting. I hope you do. One audience member at a time. We'll be back next week uh, for a talk about the friend zone. Looking forward to seeing you then. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.